I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Red Box Podcast and The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. As MPs return to Westminster for the start of the new parliamentary term, I'm joined by three straight-talking backbenchers to cast an eye over the state of their own parties and their rivals. Stuart McDonald is the SNP MP for Glasgow South, who arrived in the Commons in May last year as part of the SNP landslide after overturning a Labour majority of 12,000 to win by more than 12,000 himself. Emma Reynolds has been the Labour MP for Wolverhampton North East since 2010, serving in Ed Miliband's shadow cabinet before refusing to work with Jeremy Corbyn. And James Cleverley was elected his Tory MP for Braintree in 2015, having previously served on the London Assembly. He famously said he would snog Theresa May. Welcome to you all. So, Brexit means Brexit. Or as David Davis helpfully pointed out as he made his debut as a cabinet minister in the Commons this week, Brexit means leaving the European Union. The problem is that this means something different to everyone, so is Theresa May guaranteed to disappoint. So, uh, James, as the Brexiteer on the panel, how long can this Brexit means Brexit holding line hold for? To, to kind of steal a, a line that David Davis used, it is, it is very simple, but, but very complicated. <laughs> um, what did you make of his statement? He did this statement on, on Monday, his first at the yeah. dispatch box, supposedly setting out what Brexit meant. And were you particularly enlightened? Well, it, it is such early days that I was never expecting a ton of detail in that because it is still early days. We, we, we've had the summer um, where we've been away kind of recharging our batteries. Uh, the Prime Minister the, and the Foreign Affairs team have been out talking to people, but it was never going to be a, a, a ton of detail. But I think the thing that was significant and it's been kind of lost in the hubbub is that we are, the government's position is, we are going to leave the EU. We're not going to try and redefine what membership of the EU means. We're not going to try and sneak back in through the back door. We are going to leave the EU. And the message to the other parts of the Commons were, you know, get your head around that. Um, but exactly what all the various other bits and bobs in it are going to be, what migration is going to look like, what the trade deal is going to look like, that kind of stuff, those things are up for grabs. And where are you on the sort of spectrum of single market, freedom of movement, that seems to be the sort of two, and, and everyone is sort of spread out on that. Is is being in the single market more important? Is ending all free movement more important? Well, from a personal point of view, there are some there are some things which I feel lazy language could potentially paint us into a bit of a corner. So we keep talking about single market membership as if it, it, it is the holy grail of trade. Yeah. Now, single market comes with some massive advantages, but it also comes with very significant disadvantages. So if we can get a good trade deal doesn't have to be the single market but a good trade deal 
with the EU nations. And if we can get control of our borders, that's the kind of thing that people want. But this obsession with membership of the single market, I think, is a bit of a red herring. Emma, you were the Labour Party's York spokesman at one point. You worked in and around Europe before you became an MP. What do you, what do you make of this? Do you think... Do you think it is possible to make a success of Brexit, as Theresa May said she wants to? Well, I campaign to remain in the EU, but I do accept the result of the referendum and I do accept that we are in the process um, of leaving the European Union. I think my priority really is to make sure we get the best possible deal. And I was not at all enlightened by David Davis's uh, statement in the Commons. I don't expect uh, at this point for the government to have a detailed uh, negotiating strategy, but you would expect some work to have been done in the last two months and some perhaps broad parameters of a strategy. But we don't have a plan. We didn't have a plan prior to the referendum result. I think that was a mistake. I think the government should have been planning for that. And certainly we don't even have a plan yet. So saying Brexit means Brexit, I don't think it's going to last very long as a holding position because people did vote for so many different reasons to leave the EU. There is the big problem and the big issue, as you have put it, is the trade-off between single market membership and immigration. Now, in the campaign, I argued very forcefully that single market membership is very important to the economy, and I still believe that, and I thought it was more important than restricting free movement. However, we did lose that argument, so there does have to be some restrictions to free movement, and I accept that, but that does mean that the best possible economic deal won't be as good as the one we've got now, and as the Japanese said yesterday, you know, there could be some repercussions of that, and I hope that we can stop foreign direct investment from moving to continental Europe. Now, Stuart, the SNP was wholeheartedly in favour of Remain. Do you accept the outcome of the result? Yes, I mean, I think the the issue is, you know, my constituency voted over 70% to Remain. It was the highest vote in Glasgow, actually. Uh, And my constituents expect me to get the best deal as a result of that. Now, I have a different view on what that deal should look like to perhaps the other two Panelists, but I think yesterday's statement, I mean, no one could accuse David Davis of boring us with the detail because there was none (laughs) of that whatsoever. And I think that during the campaign when the government, albeit a, a different government at the time, said that they didn't have a plan. I thought that was just a campaign tactic. I thought you just said that kind of thing to kind of almost frighten people round to your view. But obviously it was true, uh, and I think that was contemptible. It, it, it might be the only thing in the whole campaign yes, that was true. Yes, it, it may both it, sides. It may well be, but you know, I think to to contrast that with our campaign for independence, we had a white paper of almost seven hundred pages. Now you can we can debate whether it was a good plan, a terrible plan, or or mince or whatever. But there was a plan, and people understood it and made their choice based on that plan. There is absolutely nothing that comes even close to that as a result of the Brexit vote. And I think that really is contemptible. Just on that point, do you think actually setting out all of that detail ends up helping or hindering your campaign? Because actually the the, the brilliance of vote leave of not having a plan is that anyone could then impose on Brexit what they thought it would mean. This is very true, but I think we set a high standard for referendums uh, personally. But I think that when you're asking the public to make such a massive decision that has huge consequences, I think it's incumbent on you to put forward that detail so that their choices is as informed as possible. 
I know we're going to come on to the Labour Party in a minute, but I think that <laughs> I what's worry, interesting cover the about fall. the Conservatives, if I may, is that the veneer of unity that they were portraying before the summer when Theresa May was appointed as Prime Minister is the, the divisions on Europe, which have been there for a very, very long time and run very deep, are starting to show again. And interestingly, Theresa May obviously you know, appointed uh, David Davis, Liam Fox and Boris Johnson, three prominent vote leave MPs to incredibly senior positions and has now contradicted pretty much everything they said during the vote leave campaign. So on free movement, Boris Johnson, I remember that big debate in Wembley. He was talking with passion about the points-based system. And then Theresa even, May has even did it after, in, after the result, he wrote the Telegraph column where he talked Indeed. about the importance of freedom of movement. Indeed. Well, he, he was a bit all over the place. Well, that, that, yeah. One minute he wanted a points-based <laughs> system and next minute he wanted free movement after he'd won the referendum. That was all very confusing. But Theresa May has ruled out a points-based system, which vote leave were arguing for. Theresa May also this week has said that there won't be extra money for the NHS, uh, something that was emblazoned on the vote leave uh, bus. So, you know, if you are a voter, you could be forgiven for thinking, hold on a minute, a lot of the promises that were made by Boris Johnson and others who are now in government are being broken and are being overturned by the Prime Minister. And I do think there are other issues of uh, division and disagreement. For example, David Davis has consistently argued against the European arrest warrant and Theresa May, when she was Home Secretary, consistently argued for the European arrest warrant. So these are big questions. now the government is talking about, or Number 10 is exploring the idea of trying to find a way of Britain either remaining in that or some... you know, similar, uh, which I think they should. And Norway and uh, Iceland, I believe, have uh, arrangements both with Europol and the European Arrest Warrant. So you don't necessarily have to be in the European Union to be in those uh, mechanisms. And I, for one, think that the British people didn't vote to be less secure. So I hope that we will find a way to remain uh, in those security measures. Is this an impossible task for Theresa May, James? Can, it, it, she's, she's inherited, in a way, it's almost an advantage that she was on the she wasn't on the leave side because at least she hasn't got all these albatrosses hanging around in the same way that Liam Fox and Boris Johnson have. But is it is she going to end up disappointing well, both people who voted leave but also Tory MPs? I mean, what Emma has highlighted quite effectively is 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 the kind of challenge that you always get in a political party. So within a government, rather. So within a government, you will have typically big personalities who have very strong views on certain issues and not everyone can get their way so as is the case with any governmental team people are going to have to trade positions that they have previously taken for a more team-based end result it's just how governments it's just how governments work now normally and this is the really important thing normally this all happens behind the scenes and you don't get to see the sausages being made um, but but what this referendum has done is is brought out into the open some of the internal challenges that you get building a team, and it, it's never easy, and this isn't going to be easy. But I mean, Theresa May has shown a degree of uh, decisiveness both at her time as a Home Office and since becoming Prime Minister, and I think she'll be able to blend these positions to come up with a a, a credible government agenda. And it's completely legit that the Prime Minister is not bound by the campaign. Mm messages of a cross-party, you know, Gisela Stewart was the co-chair, a cross-party single-issue campaign organisation. It wasn't a general election, it was a referendum. We've got to get trade, immigration, or security, we've got to get these things sorted. 
but the Prime Minister does not have to bind herself to the promises made or the implied promises made by the Vote Leave campaign. How, and uh, I mean, so you might have views on this, but how significant do you think the, it will be that f- for years and years and years and years, the, the sort of rebel element in the Tory party has been the Eurosceptics who cause problems for successive Tory leaders. Actually, there is a rebel element of unhappy Remainers who actually make up a much bigger proportion of the Tory party who... Some of them have been sacked from jobs, but they're also really not happy about the fact we're leaving. Do you think that will end up feeding into them? Because they've got the number. It doesn't take much to overturn the government's majority. Do, do you predict problems on that front? Having a small majority is always a bit of a problem, <laughs> you know. Um, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't rouse over Europe, there'll be rouse over other things. So managing a small majority is going to be tricky. And that's been overshadowed by Brexit in the short term, but towards the back end of this parliament, I'm I'm certain that there'll be other issues that cause rows within the party. That's, would just you, par- that's a party management if, problem. If, uh, if you had a quiet five minutes with the Prime Minister, would you advise her to... I'd snog her, wouldn't I? Well, you so, would snog her. Yeah. I'm also going to bring that up again. Okay. But if you've brought that up, having done that, if you had a couple of minutes left afterwards, <laughs> uh, would you advise her to call uh, an early election? No, I genuinely wouldn't. I really wouldn't. And this, oh, um, you would when you look at the polls. No, we'll no, get no. on to Emma's, Emma's problems in a minute. But Journalists love a good election, don't they, Matt? <laughs> We've all had the summer off. We're recovered now. We, 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 we'll have another election. The Brexit result, even though it was the result I wanted, it would be ridiculous for me to suggest that that has not caused disruption. It has not caused anxiety. It would be ridiculous for me to say that. Stability is really important. And calling a snap general election is the last thing that we need. We have a small but workable majority. We have a fractured opposition, both within the Labour Party and and, and across the side. So we can make it work. On Monday, September the 12th, Jeremy Corbyn marks a year, a whole year, as Labour leader. Despite all of the rows, gaffes, walkouts, a vote of no confidence and a leadership challenge, he still clings on, obviously. But as he looks set to be returned as leader again, perhaps with an even bigger mandate, can the Labour Party be saved and should it? I suppose we ought to start with you, Emma. That's an easy question. Yes, it should be. And yes, it should. But can it? And how, I suppose, is the question then? Well, that is less clear. <laughs> you, you'd like <laughs> to it to be saved. You'd frank, like it to be saved. Frankly, nobody, apart from some commentators in the media, is talking about a split because the Labour Party is, as you will know, as a political commentator and as my colleagues, I'm sure, will know, the Labour Party is very tribal, above all. And we will have to accept the result on the 24th of September and find a way to work together. And I think, as a backbencher, there's lots of things that you can do to hold the government to account from the backbenches, and that's something I've been trying to do on on the outcome of the referendum. So, How much do you think Jeremy's going to win by? I don't, look, I don't know. I, I don't really trust polling, uh, given what happened to us at the last general election. We will wait to see what the outcome is. Um, it does seem like we're having another kind of midlife crisis. We had one in the 80s as well. We're not the only party to suffer these sorts of crises. I mean, arguably, uh, James's party, the Conservative Party, did so when they had a major defeat as well and struggled in the early 2000s with different but the, leaders. The difference now is the way that the party has been taken over by people with, you know, it's a democracy and they can if they want to, but fundamentally different views to the established views of the party. That's the difference. Isn't it? The Conservative Party in Westminster had a terrible time, but the, the party membership as a whole didn't change 
in the in the way that the Labour Party has. No, the membership has changed dramatically. You're right. Some of the polling, whether we believe it or not, does seem to indicate that those members who have been members of the party for quite some time, certainly prior to the last general election, are much more likely to support Owen. Yep. And those who have joined uh, since, and certainly since September last year, are much more likely to vote for Jeremy. Do you seriously think that Owen Smith would radically turn things around for the Labour Party? I believe that Owen Smith is electable and I think that he could bring the party back together. Could he be Prime Minister? I think he could be Prime Minister, yes. Stuart, you're shaking your head, which doesn't really work on a podcast. I can't think of a... I was trying to be polite. (laughs) I can't think of a problem to which Owen Smith is the solution. I find his whole style to be uncouth. I can understand why they are seeking an alternative to Mr Corbyn. Yes, the Labour Party should be saved. Of course it should. I think what's happened is bad for democracy. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to put the kind of national and political interest above tribal politics. The rot set in in Scotland, or it's certainly manifested itself in I think, elections before yes, it's sort of reached England. Lots, it seems of to be spreading. lots of people seem to forget and... Forgive me, Emma, I'm, I'm certainly not being rude about you here, but Labour were pretty rubbish in Scotland for a long time <laughs> before we became good. Yeah. Um, and lots of people forget that. I'm not sure how they, they recover. I think Corbyn uh, stands for lots of things which are nice that I agree with. <laughs> I think his, his style is, is bad, to put it mildly, but he's essentially a, a trot. I'm right and everyone else is wrong and the revolution will come um, and voters just don't buy that kind of thing. I'm looking forward to next year's already. <laughs> I have to say, my difference with Jeremy is not just one of competence in that I think it's very difficult to be a successful leader and not have the confidence of your parliamentary party. And I also think that it's difficult in the chamber for him to inspire confidence from us. And I think many of my electorate don't see him as a prime minister. But that's not my only problem with Jeremy, I'm afraid. I have a fundamental difference of opinion when with him on the EU. He is a Euro sceptic. He'd have more in common with James on Whoa. that than, than me. <laughs> on that, um, on that. I wouldn't say you should go out all... for a drink, but you'd have to um, do it during office hours because he's banned after, re- after work. What he recently said about NATO yeah. is something that I profoundly disagree with. I believe in the collectivism of NATO. It was a it was a Labour thing, you know, way back when. And it's a proud tradition of the Labour Party that we help to defend our... Um, allies um so there are different all i'm trying to say is that there are differences of substance as well but we are going to have to find a way to to work together james can it be saved should it be saved do you care i do care uh can it be saved yes but it is going to take a jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Level of decisiveness and internal discipline that the Labour Party seem to have lacked recently a ruthlessness everyone keeps pointing at the conservatives and saying oh you're 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 ruthless uh, i think in the past that was held up by by labor uh, politicians as a as a criticism now they are saying it almost as a as a compliment as a compliment yeah i'm going to say something a little bit different to to what emma and stuart have said there is no god-given right for any political party to exist um, political parties have to stay relevant, otherwise they die. The Labour Party in Scotland is dying. There is no need for them. What do they add to the mix? There is the SNP providing that, that, that voice for Scottish independence and doing it very effectively, and, and they are you know, a, a difficult opponent to, uh, to confront. And we have an increasingly professional Conservative Party in Scotland making that unionist voice. And the big question is, so what's the Labour Party for? And I think if the Labour Party in the rest of the UK doesn't get its act together really soon, they run the risk of becoming a political irrelevance. You have to have someone on the left of British politics. You have to have someone sitting on the opposition benches. It doesn't have to be the Labour Party. And they've got to get their act together real quick or they will become obsolete and be overtaken by something else, whatever that might be. Emma, we should, I should probably ask you about uh, Keith Vaz, but particularly Jeremy Corbyn's response to it. He, his response was, this is a private matter for Keith. Do you think that's good enough for the leader of the Labour Party? I don't think it is a private matter for Keith, and I know that the Home Affairs Committee are meeting today to discuss this. I feel tremendously sorry for Keith's family. Uh, this is a horrible thing to happen to them, particularly his uh, wife and children. I do think it, this is difficult because of the things that the Home Affairs Select Committee have been looking at recently, i.e. prostitution. They're doing a major inquiry into that and obviously drugs and the classification of drugs and what we should do to try and reduce the usage uh, of drugs is something, again, that um, they're looking into, although poppers is, uh, has not been banned uh, by by the government, it, it, I think it is tremendously difficult for uh, my colleague Keith to stay in his position. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I would think it would be pretty difficult. And he's on the NEC of the Labour Party. Do you think he should step down from that as well? No, I don't think he should step down from from that. He represents um, the BME voice yeah. in in the party, and he's done that effectively for for many many years. Now I don't know how else he's going to respond to this story in the Sunday Mirror and, and of course it's you know all these things are very horrible and difficult but I do think his chairmanship is in very the, serious the clash doubt. Of, the clash of uh, interests. You both think that he should stand aside? Well, Keith has always been 
um, very personable, charming. Uh, and what I'm going to say is, uh, 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 no, I have no malice towards him. I think his position as chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee is completely untenable. The chairmanship requires a degree of credibility, which is just now lacking. Whilst uh, accusations like this are floating around, even if they are, even if it's temporary, at the moment his position is uh, untenable. And with his position on the NEC, I've always felt uncomfortable with these kind of you know, very long-term tenures. Um, the Labour Party have got a huge number of people from uh, a BME backgrounds. Any number of them, any one of them, could could put that BME voice uh, credibly on the NEC uh, and I think Keith should step down from that as well. A bit harsh but th- that's my view. Stuart? Um, I'm not really interested in his NEC position <laughs> to be entirely honest. I think um, I think what's happened is enormously embarrassing uh, and like Emma I feel incredibly sorry for his, his family. I think we're still to establish of course if any criminality has taken place and if it has then he certainly has to resign but I think his credibility is... Uh, enormously dented as a result of the whole sorry saga. Has the SNP peaked? After winning all but three of the seats in Scotland at last year's general election, perhaps the only way was down. Nicola Sturgeon, who this week set out her legislative programme for the year ahead, uh, lost a majority in Hollywood in May. And according to a new YouGov poll for the Times, Ruth Davidson, the Tory leader, now has higher approval ratings, with the second independence referendum in doubt. Who now poses a threat north of the border? And should the SNP really be worried? Stuart, we shall come to you first. Have you peaked? Well, we achieved 47% in the Holyrood election in the constituency vote. And the poll you referred to from last week had us on 52%. If that's a downward spiral, (laughs) I don't know what a success looks like. Um, Look, I think that we are doing enormously well. uh, I think uh, because we are a united political voice in Scotland, we have a clear direction in which we want to go. People won't always agree with everything that we propose, but they at least know what we stand for and see that we're effective in putting that across. And that stability in leadership matters more so now than than ever, really, uh, in recent political times. It's interesting, you know, if you, if you look at the detail of that poll that came out last week, the only two parties to increase their position on the last election are the SNP and the Green Party. Every other party has gone down. You'll notice that that's all the pro-independence parties <laughs> as well. I think that uh, our new position here at Westminster has helped. I think that the SNP and, and Scottish issues are, are being taken more seriously, are being given an effective voice in a way that they just weren't being done by these hordes of long, long-serving Labour MPs who were pretty anonymous for several decades, some of them. That said, we can't rest in our laurels. We can't become the new Scottish Labour Party who took it all for granted. We've got local authority elections coming up in May. Let me tell you, winning Glasgow City Council is almost as important, perhaps even more important, than winning independence for wow. many people in Glasgow. It's the it's the cherry on the on the top for many of us. So in terms of where the threat comes from, obviously the Conservatives have overtaken Labour, but let's not forget they came a very, very distant second uh, to us with uh, less than half the seats uh, that we have. The new polling would have us go from, I think it's 63 to 71 seats, you know, so we're doing well at the minute. And what about that second independence effort? It, it seems like you've, the SNP's caught on a slight problem. I mean, the circumstances have changed, so actually the argument for having a second referendum 
post Brexit. Yeah. Is that strengthened the argument for another independence? Well, we were clear. But the, the economics make your case for independence less likely. So well, I'll, I'll I'll deal with that in a second. But we were clear in the Holyrood election that should there be a Brexit vote against our wishes, then it does change the circumstances. It's a material change. Every single counting area in Scotland voted to stay. The overall Scottish result was 62%. That cannot be ignored. And I say to even the most hardened of unionists, ignore that at your peril. Something has to be worked out if they're going to try and keep this union cobbled together. I mean, I think it's, it's we're on a road to independence anyway. In terms of the economics, uh, I think you're right, there are challenges. The GERS figures show us that. The budget deficit in Scotland is now bigger than for the rest of the UK. It's £15 billion. That's an enormous wake-up call. I think the onshore revenues have uh, increased. They've increased by almost uh, £1.5 billion. I think we have to look to diversify the economy. There's no question that's a challenge. But fundamentally, I still believe that decisions about Scotland are better taken in Scotland and certainly not better taken by the most right-wing government since Mrs Thatcher was in power. So we need to construct a new case. We can't offer the same deal again. That's going to take enormous intellectual rigour from us and engagement with people in Scotland, and I cannot wait to get involved in it. Emma, is there a way back for Labour in Scotland? Well, I hope so. Um, it, it is obviously a very, very difficult situation. What's your, I, what's your sort of assessment of why the Labour Party is where it is in Scotland? It's gone from dominating Scotland to third place behind the Tories. I think we did take support for Labour in Scotland for granted. And I think that many of the most talented politicians wanted to make their career here in London in in Westminster as MPs and didn't stay in Scotland and uh, run for the leadership of our of our party up there i think there were some big mistakes uh, that have been made over the last you know several years um however we have a very clear position in that we are against a second referendum the polls really don't seem to have shifted very much i mean i think the latest poll said that 54% of people were against independence and 46 were were for. That's just a very, very slight shift on the result a couple of years ago. Well, by 1%. There was, there was also another um, poll that showed that more than half don't want a second referendum. I have to disagree with Emma here. Labour's position is anything but clear. The Scottish <laughs> Labour deputy leader when somebody says favours something a second clear, it's referendum. Almost never is. Owen Smith favoured one, then he didn't favour one, now he's open to one. It's a, it's a mess. And our party leader does not favour a second referendum and our party position is that we do not favour a second referendum and we believe in the union. We want Scotland this, to remain as part of the United Kingdom. Is this the one thing that you agree Kingdom. with Jeremy Corbyn on? Yeah, I would agree with him on that. I would, I would disagree with Dave Anderson, um, who's another of my colleagues, who suggested that we have some pact with the SNP, uh, by the way. I think is that he, would be the, right, very is dangerous. He, is he the shadow Scottish He's the shadow Secretary. Scottish Secretary and the shadow Northern Ireland Secretary. That's right, yeah. So he represents two areas of the UK that voted to stay in the EU. I get that they're in favour of the union, and that's entirely fine. But I think that they do have to revisit this whole issue. That's the defining issue in Scottish politics. It's not left and right or, or Corbyn or not Corbyn. It's the constitutional question. The, the truth is, since the independence... And they need to come up with a more flexible unionist line if they're going to come back, well, look, in my view. The truth is, since the referendum, the economics of independence have got worse, not better. Look at the oil price. Look at the fiscal deficit, which is f- so stands at 15 change, billion Emma. pounds. Well, why don't you use your new tax-raising powers, your income tax-raising powers, to have a more progressive taxation system 
system to put more money into education and the gap at uh, the education attainment Emma, gap in Scotland Emma, is that's widening. At. Uh, well, that's already you, but you, hang on, the, the, the S&P <laughs> has been in government yet, for a long you? time we've, in Scotland. We've been in since me. Yeah. We don't well, even have the power you've been, yet, you've been, you've been in, in power in Scotland for a long yet. time. I think the problem with the S&P is they do want to have their cake and eat it. When things go well, they take credit for it. And when things go badly, they try and blame Westminster. doesn't that just mean they're just better at politics than the Labour Party's been? Let's bring you in, James. Let's bring you in, James. So Ruth Davidson. We love Ruth. She is outstanding. It's a massive star in Scotland. And yeah. actually, because she played a part in the EU referendum debate, sort of that, that put her properly on the national stage as well. Actually, what seems to be happening is the Tory party is reaping the benefits of being unequivocally pro-union, whereas the Labour Party seems quite often has got itself into a bit of a pickle. Ed Miliband went down very badly when he went up during the referendum campaign. You've had a new leader in Scotland, the Labour Party, sort of almost every couple of weeks. In the end, 52% of people in Scotland voted for the union and, and the, the Tory party ended up being the sort of unequivocal voice. For yeah, that. The, the, there, there's a repolarisation, I think, of Scottish politics. I don't pretend to be uh, an expert on Scottish politics, but I've said for quite a while now, for long before uh, I think it was electorally obvious, that the emergence, I think is the wrong word, but the, 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 the near dominance of the SNP. There's massive surge in support for, for the SNP, particularly post the uh, independence referendum, would redefine the polarisation of Scottish politics. So instead of the traditional left-right split, you would have a more independence versus unionist split. We are the Conservative and Unionist Party. That's the full name for my party. There is no wiggle room. There are no caveats. There are no uh, footnotes to that. We're a unionist party. I fundamentally disagree with the SNP on that. They fundamentally disagree with my party on that. But you know what? That's fine. And we present that option. But as I said before, the Labour Party, with their kind of neither fish nor fowl, paint themselves into a really, really difficult corner. So whilst they're doing their belly button gazing, trying to define exactly what they mean by the union and blah, 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 we're in a position where we can, you know, thrash it out with the SNP and, and provide that kind of uh, credible opposition, which I think the Labour Party has has lacked in Scotland for, for quite a while. And I think that, going back to the exam question, the SNP, if they haven't peaked, they're very, very near the peak. The problem that they have got to deal with, and, and, and Stuart's, you know, been very open about this, is that they can either stay as dominant or that dominance can start to slip and inevitably it will. And when it does, the story will then become, oh, the SNP slipping back rather than, to be fair, what it is likely to be for the foreseeable future is SNP still dominant in Scotland, perhaps slightly less dominant. But the direction of travel <laughs> yeah, will be a drop, a drop of a couple of percentage points might seem dramatic, but that still puts you... 20 yeah. points ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, If you had said this to me, asked me this kind of question 10 years ago, I'd have laughed at you. <laughs> you know, the fact that we're even having this discussion is quite remarkable. But things have changed in Scotland quickly and and dramatically. Everything in politics changes, yeah. changes and, quickly you know, these the, days. I have to say, the, the Ruth Davidson thing, she's very good with a tweet and a gag and a photo call. Not one single speech or statement since the Brexit decision on what it means for Scotland. Absolutely posted missing. If that's their candidate to be a future First Minister of Scotland, I suspect she'll be in for another rejection. We've nearly run out of time, but before we go, the Commons is only back for a couple of weeks now before the party conference season gets underway. The touring jamboree of speeches, backslapping and drinking. So much drinking. It's a fixture in the political calendar, but what's the point? Very quickly, Stuart, uh, yours, uh, the SNP conference isn't for 
it uh, looks slightly later, later in October. Yes, um, but I think I, I'd like to agree with the Damien McBride observation, which is it's an 18 to 30 holiday with some speeches thrown in the middle. It's a bit like that. But it's more sort of 40 to 60. Y- yes, yes, kind of. <laughs> uh, Emma, what's the point of party conference? Are you going to yours this year? I, I am going to a party conference. I go every year. Um, I do think there is a point in party conference. I, you may be sceptical about it, but I do think it is an opportunity for delegates from across the country, from the Labour Party, to come together. Um, there are obviously lots of speeches, but I enjoy the fringe more than I enjoy the main hall, I have yeah. to say. There are lots of good discussions um, on the fringe of our conference and we have lots of international visitors who come as well from our sister parties and from... Um, so they can see know. a Rolls-Royce political party <laughs> operation. Well, look, it is a, it, I'm sure we'll have a very uh, healthy debate at our conference. James, do you like party conference? I've always really enjoyed party conference. Uh, there are certain things which, as members of parliament, we get to do on a regular basis. So we get to talk to colleagues from all over the country. We get to talk to government ministers. Uh, we get to talk to captains of industry and of charities and of various other bits and bobs. We get to do that all the time. Most of the party membership, most of the councillors, most of the association chairs don't get to do that all the time. And party conference is an opportunity for them not just to meet and talk to us, but to meet and talk to the kind of people that we get to see on a, on a regular basis. Um, and there is a lot of socialising going on because there are people that you don't get to see perhaps from one year to the next. It's a lovely opportunity to catch up and have a bit of chat and a gossip. I would like to see more of our grassroots there because it, it should well, just the, be the Westminster bubble moving to the West Midlands. Um, I didn't get time to touch on this, but I was looking at the figures of all political parties have seen a big increase in membership since the EU referendum. And in total, it's about two, over 200,000 people have joined a political party. The Labour Party, for particular reasons, has uh, seen a lot of members. The Tory party has seen 50,000 more members, and they're yeah. saying this could be the biggest Tory party conference for, for more than a decade. So. Yeah. That's all we've got uh, time for this week. Um, I should just say we've launched a new series on Redbox this week called What I Want from Brexit. So far we've mainly heard from politicians, but we'd love to hear from you as well, whether you're a Remainer or a Lever, what do you want to get out of it. Uh, email your thoughts, no more than 500 words, please, and um, if it's fewer than that, that's even better. Uh, but you can email it to redbox at thetimes.co.uk. You can also tweet us at Times Redbox or find us on Facebook. Do remember to subscribe to the Redbox podcast via iTunes or on your Android device so it gets delivered to your phone every week. And as ever, if you want political news, analysis and gossip landing in your inbox every morning, sign up for my free uh, red box email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box email. But for now, from Emma, Stuart, James and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.